Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. The Joyce Kaufman Podcast is being brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com. So I've been thinking a lot about whether or not looking at photographs of what happened on October 7th is important. And I've said before, and I'm pretty confident now, that it's super important. And there's a website, Honest Reporting, that shows a lot of the war crimes that were committed on October 7th. You know, the Hamas terrorists weren't the only ones that were taking pictures. But you would think so uh, because of the way the media has handled it. You would think so the way the Associated Press and Reuters. Now, mind you. The Associated Press and Reuters never had a problem showing images of some dude wearing like a headpiece walking through Congress and accusing him of like all kinds of heinous crimes and an insurrection and all the rest of it. That didn't disturb them at all. Uh, But what they didn't want to show you that day was police officers who shot and killed a Trump supporter. See, that was too much for their weak stomachs. And apparently... So are the images of the atrocities that were captured that morning by Gaza-based photojournalists. So we're talking about people who work for Reuters, people who worked for the Associated Press, and who took photographs on a Saturday morning of this entirely barbaric savagery that took place at a music festival, at a rave, that took place in a kibbutz, that took place on the streets leading into these kibbutzes. So what were they doing there so early on what would ordinarily have just been a quiet Saturday morning? Was it coordinated with Hamas? You see, I've come to this place where conspiracy theories don't sound very conspiratorial to me. As I said to Dr. Naomi Wolf the other day, you know, everybody told Noah that it was a conspiracy theory that there was going to be a flood and he should build this ark until it started to rain. So what were they doing there on that Saturday morning? Had they coordinated this with Hamas? I remember when Roger Stone's house was invaded. It just happened that CNN had some photojournalists there that morning in the middle of the night. We're talking three o'clock in the morning in a residential area of South Florida. You've got a CNN crew. It was coordinated. We know that now. And did all these respectable wire services, which, by the way, are now publishing their photos... Did they actually approve of what was going on? Were they on the side of Hamas? Did these guys who freelance for organizations like CNN and the New York Times, did they tell the New York Times, did they tell CNN what was going on and what their intention was that day? Judging from the pictures of lynchings, of kidnappings, and of the storming of an Israeli kibbutz, 
I beg to ask this question of you. Did they not only allow the breach of Israel physically, but journalistically as well? It's really time for us to ask these questions. Because unfortunately, the names that I'm seeing that appear on all of these photo credits that are now beginning to emerge. Now, mind you, we're a month out of that day. But the names on the photo credits that I'm looking at are Hassan Asaya, Yusuf Masood, Ali Mahmoud, and Hatem Ali. Now, I don't see any, like, American names on there. I don't see any Jewish names on there. So these freelancers who crossed into Israel with Hamas and took photographs of, for instance, a burning tank, an Israeli tank burning, and then shows the capture of the infiltrators as they walk into the kibbutz. You have to ask yourself these questions. There were tweets on X, which are now being uncovered, where you have these photojournalists not wearing press vests, not wearing helmets that identify them as press people, and Arabic captions under their tweet that say, live from inside Gaza Strip settlements. Now, mind you, that kibbutz was not inside a settlement. That kibbutz was on the Israeli side, not in Gaza. So the fact that that tweet went out that way tells me what that photojournalist thinks about Israel. And not a word has been questioned. Masood, the one who put that picture out on X, formerly known as Twitter, works for the New York Times. It's kind of interesting how some guy who works for the New York Times just happened to be there in time in Israeli territory and took pictures of an invasion. Come on, guys. I'm not that stupid. I don't think you're that stupid. When you have pictures of a pickup truck carrying the body of German-Israeli uh, visitors to that rave festival, when you so show photographs of abductees being kidnapped and taken across that border into the Gaza Strip, whose side are you on? These are American photojournalists? Really? I have a problem with that. And I, be I believe that a lot of people are going to have a problem with that. How long are American Jews going to sit around, for that matter, European Jews, plenty of Jews living still in Great Britain, uh, probably the largest population outside of Israel and America is in France of Jews, right? How do they feel seeing that major publications like The Guardian in Great Britain, like Le Monde from France, like The New York Times, from America, actually just happened to be there when the invasion took place and didn't think it was untoward to post photographs on X. If you don't have a problem with that, turn the radio off. Like, I don't even want you sharing my airwaves. I'm tired. I'm tired of people uh, either pretending they're as stupid as that or who are really as stupid as that. You're taking up precious oxygen from the rest of us who need that oxygen so that our brains can continue to think. And then I have to wake up 
to the inevitable, and we knew this was inevitable, any battle that a Democrat won yesterday in these pre-election elections was heralded as possibly the most important sign of what's going to happen in 2024. I mean, the headline on uh, the Drudge Report, which was formerly an aggregate website that you could you know, kind of believe you'd get some fair representation from both sides of the uh, political spectrum. Not anymore, right? The headline in red, in big red letters, Dems win again, MAGA election nightmares. Dems win again? What are they talking about? They're talking about a House of Representatives in Virginia? Like the Dems never really lost those parts of the country. The purple states are purple. You know, the blue states are blue and the red states are red. And that's not changing. All I can tell you is what is changing is our level of awareness. You're not going to be able to hide behind your daddy. And that would be Kamala Harris's stepdaughter, who's, you know, really literally hiding behind the, what do we call him, the second gentleman? I don't even know. How do you refer to some dude who's married to the vice president, whatever you call him, his daughter. Now, Emhoff, he's Jewish, just in case you didn't understand that. So that, therefore, his daughter from his first marriage also happens to be Jewish. She's raised over $6 million, not for Palestinians, for Hamas. Like, that seems to me to be kind of a conflict with the prevailing, or at least what I'm told, the prevailing attitude from this administration is. Are we pro-Israel or not? I'm very, very concerned. Now you have all this controversy about whether or not AP and Reuters and these pictures that are beginning to surface now, and by the way, I have no problem with these pictures being shown. If you don't want to look at them, I have no problem with that either. But people like me needed to see them. People like me who sat and watched the probably the most horrific video I ever saw in my life was the beheading of Daniel Pearl, who was a journalist. And they beheaded that man with like a penknife. It was probably the hardest thing I ever had to watch. But I can't do this for a living unless I know it's true, unless I've seen it for myself. I don't believe much. So I did endure that video, and I did look at these pictures and look at videos of what went on on October 7th. And let me tell you something, hiding that from people is a terrible idea. The reason that Eisenhower, the general, insisted that there be moving pictures and all kinds of photographic evidence of what the American soldiers found when they walked into Auschwitz and Birkenwald, he wanted the world to see what the Nazis had done. And I believe the world needs to see what the Hamas Nazis have done. And guess what? If Hezbollah wants to jump in, and that's what they're saying, if Islamic Jihad wants to jump in, if Boko Haram wants to jump in, any of these terrorist organizations think this is a really cool time for them, good. Put their pictures up everywhere. Allow people to decide for themselves, is this appropriate or is this just beyond the pale? Because there's some real ethical questions that go along with those pictures. And the first one is, how did they get them? How did they get them? How did they show up there 
on a Saturday morning, all of those news organizations show up there and have videographers capturing terrorists storming a rave and, and storming the roads leading up to the kibbutz and then storming the kibbutz. Because if you want me to believe that it was just incidental, like I said, turn the radio off. You're just way too stupid for this show. Anyway, don't forget to download the app, the 850 WFTL app. That way you can get all the newscasts and news, important news, storm alerts. You can also hear the No Restraint podcast when you feel like it or listen to yesterday's show if you missed any portion of it. You can listen to Bill's uh, Cool Dad Rules podcast or the UAP, UAP, the Unidentified Alien podcast that Stephen Diener does. All of these things for your listening pleasure are available on the app or at the website 850wftl.com. Stay right where you are. Obviously, I got a lot more to say. You know, all these crazy alien stories can't be true, can they? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. You actually can't make up a story like this. Three individuals. Now, all I'm listening to is, well, you see, in Virginia, we saw Democrats, uh, you know, winning elections. And, uh, okay, well, let me tell you the real headline coming out of Virginia today. Three individuals have been arrested on charges of operating a high-end brothel network in Virginia and in Massachusetts with a clientele that included elected officials, military officers, and government contractors, most of whom had security clearances. And that, that's the DOJ. That's not some right-wing news article. That's the Department of Justice that just released this story. Pick a profession, Joshua Levy, acting U.S. Attorney for Massachusetts, said of the sprawling client list during a press conference today in Boston, because they're probably represented in this case. He did not identify any of the brothel's clients and noted that multiple search warrants are being executed in the case in Massachusetts, California, and Virginia. Hmm. Okay. What do you know about those three states? They're either bright blue or purplish blue, right? You didn't see any listing on there of states that are red because that doesn't go on in those states. These three individuals that were indicted today, arrested, Han Lee from Cambridge, James Lee from Torrance, California, and Jun Young Lee from Dedham, Massachusetts. So I'm gathering that since the three of them have the same last name, they might be brothers, you know. And they are charged with conspiracy to coerce and entice to travel to engage in illegal sexual activity. They transported women and they ran advertisements for them online for pre-approved clients to choose from through several different websites. So don't tell me that you're all 
you feel all warm and fuzzy because there were some elections in Virginia that went to the uh, Democrats, they can have Virginia, okay? They can have a hotbed of sexual slavery in America. You know, this isn't happening in Florida. This isn't happening in many of the red states who everybody wants to put their nose up and said, oh, well, but they're so backwards. Well, they're not so backwards that they have sexual slavery going on. Just saying, you know, here, when you hear names like Han Lee and James Lee and uh, Jun Myung Lee, you're probably talking about like software engineers, or maybe you're talking about the owners of businesses from any kind of business, you name it, you know, repair stores to uh, nail salons, uh, people working in Florida, no matter where they come from, they start businesses. They don't start businesses that engage in illegal sexual activity. Just saying, you know, but the DOJ will never, never tell you that part of the story. No. Instead, they'll tell you about how high-end military people, because they hate the military too. They hate you. They hate the military. They hate everything that this country represents. They want to tell you that you're inherently evil because of the color of your skin. You know, I, I have to, some days I have to just mind my tongue. You know, I wake up every morning and I ask God to please guard my tongue because it's so insensitive and insulting when people talk to me about white privilege, okay? Because I'm married to an African-American man who grew up in a home that his parents owned. His parents were together. He went to private academies. And I grew up in the ghetto, running from one apartment to another because as soon as the uh, lease could be broken, we broke it. I had no advantage. The color of my skin gave me no advantage whatsoever. But the color of his skin didn't hold him back because his parents believed that if they worked hard, his father worked for, uh, at the time it was called Con Ed, which I don't know if it's still called that in New York, which is an energy company. His mother was a phlebotomist, okay? So she drew blood. My mother was a hat check girl in a nightclub. My father worked for the United States Post Office. Where's my white privilege? Man, I want a refund on my white privilege. It didn't exist. It doesn't exist. And I'm sick of it. I'm sick of this being a recycled refrain over and over again. Because it's not true. And they've made you feel bad about who you are. As if somehow that would offset slavery. You know, nobody sits around and defends slavery that I know of, except maybe some people on the left who have sex slaves like this one. But for the most part, we're all in agreement that slavery was a terrible thing. We fought a whole war to end it. But apparently it's not terrible if all you do is say demeaning things about white people. That's not terrible. You better learn to live with it. Jews, white people, come on, they have privilege. You could say whatever you want about that. I'm so sick of it. I really am. I'm not going to tolerate, I never tolerated it well, but I'm really not tolerating it anymore. Now that I've seen anti-Semitism rear its ugly head, now that I've seen this whole, what, what has critical race theory done for this country except turn its universities into hotbeds of anti-American, anti-Semitic lunatics, crazy people? 
Nothing positive has come out of CRT. Nothing. Nor will it ever come out of CRT. Because any time you single out any group of people and say they're all the same, that's racism. And just because it was done to one group of people doesn't mean, well, then you turn around and do it to another group of people and call that fair. It will never be fair. But they don't want to hear that. Instead, they want to have headlines like I saw all day today about, ooh, you know, abortion is the big election issue. That's right. Women are going to be fighting for their right. Abortion has been legal in this country for 46 years, 48 years, I don't know, a long time. Okay? It's not going away. But people like me are hoping that just like we were hoping for back then, when I stood on picket lines and said, we want abortion to be legal, safe and rare. And then all of a sudden, we wake up 10 years later, and it's now like backup birth control. That was not the intent. That's not why people like me stood on picket lines. No, I stood on picket lines because my aunt was put on a kitchen table and the butcher came in to do her abortion and ruined her for the rest of her life. We don't want that anymore. She had been raped. So we thought, well, we could come up with a better, better practice than that. And then it turned into this insanity. I mean, how do you, how do you rationalize what the former governor of Virginia, the same state we're talking about, who literally said that if a baby is born live and the mother decides that she doesn't want the baby, that she and the doctor can make that decision. I beg your pardon, that's infanticide. I don't care who you are. I don't care what your beliefs are. If you kill a baby that was born live, you just committed infanticide. You can call it whatever you want. Women's reproductive rights? That's not reproductive rights. You know what reproductive rights are? The fact that I don't have to get pregnant anymore. I can get birth control anywhere. When I was young, you walked into a drugstore, they kept the, the condoms behind the counter. You had to be a certain age to get them, and it was very embarrassing. You stood there, and if you were a woman, you dared not ask for them. So you'd get some guy from the neighborhood to come in with you, and you say, could you please order some of those? That's how crazy it was. Now you're 16, and your pediatrician will give your daughter, uh, so he'll put a, a something in, under her skin and her arm. She won't get pregnant. Put a, a IUD in her, put a diaphragm, or give her the pill. That's reproductive freedom. It's allowing women to have a choice, not insisting that women stop having babies. And that's where, listen, my job is to make sure that you understand that they drum that stuff into you and they drum it into our young people because if you have no respect for human life, well then it's not a big leap to taking your weapon, your semi-automatic weapon into a school where you know there'll be nobody armed and shooting children, innocent children, because we have made it seem like, okay, you know, they're not real yet. They, they, can't, they can't earn a living, so it's like, we don't really have to think about them as human. Look, we have wrought this on ourselves, but I'm not, I'm not gonna settle anymore. You know, I'm gonna push back. That's what I do, I push back. 
and I'll speak anywhere. You know, it's so funny. I had told everybody, I'm not doing a lot of speaking engagements until like two months before the next election. You know, I'll start speaking September and October of next year. I'm speaking more now than I ever did before because people are so demoralized. People are so frightened. My Jewish friends are afraid to come out of that. They don't want to wear a Star of David. You know, this is insane. I can't stop talking. Maybe they'll start listening. How about that? How about all the things that I've been saying all along are manifesting themselves now? Like, can we, can we put on our big girl boy's pants, you know, and actually fight for what's right? Tonight there'll be a debate in Miami. One question for my listeners. And this is a rhetorical question. You can shout the answer at your radio if you want to, but I already know the answer. Is anybody in this listening audience going to watch the debate tonight? Eh, probably not. Let me take a break. I'll be right back. So the war in the Ukraine. Oh, yeah. Remember, there's a war going on in the Ukraine because it seems as though most of the people in, in America have forgotten about that unless they're asking for money in Congress. But other than that, we don't talk about it anymore. But a big shift just happened in the Ukraine. And I believe it's in no small part because the people in the Ukraine, Zelensky and his troops, are watching what's going on in the Middle East. And there are some pretty mighty women warriors in Israel that fight and win battles. So now the Ukraine is calling up women. You have to understand these are very different cultures. And for many people, the idea of having women in combat is very disturbing. Everybody, you know, over the years have been very surprised at my position on this, but it is unchanged. It has been unchanged for 40 years. And it's not that I don't believe that there are some women who can be in battle. I know there are. But I don't believe in putting women troops on the front lines, primarily because we still rather loosely have this morality that tells us that men protect women. I know that's very old fashioned. I know you don't want to hear that from me, especially on the left, but it is true, you know, that men will almost instinctively protect smaller, weaker creatures. They protect their children, they protect their wives, they protect their sisters, they protect their mothers. Men do that. It's instinctive. So I've always felt that putting women on the front lines, if you don't have to, obviously in Israel right now, they've been doing it for decades and it works very well for them. Some of these warriors are unbelievable. Um, but the bottom line is in the Ukraine where this has never been done before, I don't know how much you know about Eastern European men, but they bear a very strong resemblance to Hispanic men who I'm very culturally close to. And they have this machismo that even goes beyond just being protective of the other sex. They kind of dominate and rule over women in these countries. And so when you put women on the front lines, they immediately become the target of the enemy because the enemy knows that they will rush to rescue the woman. 
and that's why I've never been a big fan. So I'm a little concerned that now clerks in hardware stores in Kiev are shouldering firearms for the first time in their lives. There are about two dozen women that they took out for a training in a forest near Kiev, and I got to see some of the footage of this, and I got that feeling in the pit of my stomach that I get when I think this is a really, really bad idea, as if there hasn't been enough suffering in Ukraine. But that's what happens. War is hell. You know, for people who say, well, you know, Israel just has to be mindful. They shouldn't be entering into Gaza. They need a ceasefire. You can't have a ceasefire because one side says, let's have a ceasefire. A ceasefire can only exist if both sides stop the war. Hamas has made it perfectly clear they have no intention of stopping this. Not now, not in a year, not in 20 years. They're going to fight to the death. So when you insist that Israel calls for a ceasefire, basically you're saying like, that's it, no more Israel. Hamas revealed a plan just yesterday seeing if I can find it online. I should have earmarked it. But they had a plan, I think it was in the Hill, where they said, look, it could take months for them to, you know, actually take over Gaza City. And, and the Jews, the IDF admits that. The fighting is going to be brutal, and it's going to go on for a long time. So, of course, what does Hamas is, issue a statement saying? In response to the Israeli defense minister, Gallant, who was on TV just yesterday vowing they're going to fight, Israel's going to fight until full victory is achieved, we're gnawing away at this capability, is how he put it, meaning like little by slowly we're making the moves that will wipe out Hamas. Now, the United States, we're the key backer for Israel in this war. But we keep saying, but you have to minimize the loss of innocent life. How come nobody tells Hamas that if they don't release the, te the hostages, there will be no ceasefire? Because they know Hamas isn't going to release the hostages, not for a ceasefire, and they have no intention of honoring a ceasefire. Guess what they were in on October 7th? They were in a ceasefire with Israel. And Israel took it seriously, let their guard down, wasn't paying attention, thought the diplomatic challenge could be overcome. It couldn't. They'd been planning this for years. We now understand that every time Israel has pulled out of previous wars, including the conflicts with the Lebanese Hezbollah in 1996, and they did it again in 2006, before they completed their military objectives. All the political forces, all of the international community applied so much pressure. Oh, you got to do diplomacy. We can't have a war. And then the American support dwindled and dwindled. They were fighting over whether or not they'd fund the Iron Dome. Uh, the diplomatic clock ticking down. And then guess what? The Jews fell back. Israel fell back. And so what happens? I don't have to tell you what happens. This happens. So this time, I don't think the IDF is going to back away. They understand that if they don't finish off Hamas, then 
it will never end. As a matter of fact, they've been told that over and over again, that we're not going to stop fighting. The Al-Quds Brigade, that's the military wing of the Palestinian Islamic Jihad group. Are the names starting to confuse you? Well, they should, but they're all the same, whether it's uh, Boko Haram or Hezbollah or Hamas or Al-Quds Brigade or you name it. It's all the same. Kill the Jews. That's their, that's their purpose. So, you know, they have all the advantages right now, Hamas, when you think about it. Now they have uh, the, the world community on their side, in spite of what they did. The world communities rushed to their rescue. They have tunnels that they have spent the last 10 years putting this system of tunnels in place under where human beings are living, under hospitals, under schools, under apartment buildings. Who does that? What kind of government thinks it's okay to hide under the skirts of mothers? Well, if you've convinced those mothers that if their child will sacrifice themselves by strapping a bomb onto their bodies and then walking into a pizza parlor, well, then those mothers don't even care if you are building tunnels under their house. And then if you say, and guess what? If you let your son blow himself up in that pizza parlor, we'll pay you a salary for the rest of your life. Which part of that are people having a hard time understanding? Because I don't have any trouble understanding it all. This is the worst of the human being that you've ever imagined. The military wing of these Islamic radicals have absolutely no compunction about taking innocent life. None, we saw that. So a, a ceasefire? If I was Bibi Netanyahu, I'd say, uh, I'd point to my tuchus and say ceasefire this. And th that would be the answer. Um, I'm listening to these Naval War College guys on TV last night talking about, they're like professors at the Naval War College. And, you know, they're, they're saying for the IDF, every building is potentially a bunker from which the terrorists can launch an ambush. I'm looking at this video footage. They pop up out of a tunnel. They throw a grenade or a bomb into an area and they pop back in the tunnel and then they pop out of another tunnel. So how do you fight that? You know, what kind of war is this? This urban warfare where every building is a bunker? Even if they take out Gaza City, that's not going to end the fighting because the, they this will drag out because the militants will just keep uh, popping up in sporadic guerrilla warfare. I remember during the Vietnam War when we'd be at protests and people would say to me, well, like, how do you think this ends? I said, it, it ends with one side submission, submitting. It doesn't end with some ceasefire. It doesn't end when we say it's over. It ends when somebody wins. And I saw those helicopters leaving Vietnam with the last few survivors. I'll never forget that scene. And you're going to see the same scenes coming out of Gaza City.
the difference is that Hamas is pretty low tech. You know, the gliders were like about as high tech as they get. The arms that they have, in other words, when the humanitarian effort comes in and gives them pipes so that they can now have water, drinking water for their people, they take those pipes and turn them into bombs because they don't care about their people. They just care about the, the caliphate. All right, don't forget, coming up after me, Eric Erickson, followed by Joe Paggs, followed by uh, Lars Larson and then the Overnight Guys. And then we begin the madness all over again at 6 a.m. with Jen and Bill in the South Florida Morning Show, followed by Brian Kilmeade, followed by Dan Bongino. And then, if it be his will and he delays his coming, I'll be back at 3 o'clock. For now, i got one segment left. Stay right where you are. So what happens after Israel captures Gaza City? Because that's the direction that we're going into. They're going to take full control of Gaza City. And what they're going to do is they're going to, it's going to be severed into two pieces. You're going to have one half of it is going to be the coastal uh, territories. And the other half in the south is going to be where they have more than a million civilian refugees. And let's face it, there are more Hamas bases that Israel is going to have to move towards next. Gaza is not the, the final word, including in southern Gaza, which we really haven't talked about much. But this is going to be very tricky for them politically because Bibi Netanyahu said that when the fighting is over, his country is going to have control over Gaza for a, quote, indefinite period. And when we don't have the security responsibility, we have Hamas exploding. So this is long-term. Anybody who thinks otherwise really doesn't understand the complications of a war like this, which is why I always said, giving your enemy pieces of property inside of your own country is not a good idea. You know, when they say land for peace, what they didn't realize was they meant a piece of a Jew here and a piece of a Jew over there when they blow them up. So, yeah, this, the ending is not going to be happy. But as I constantly remind you people, I have read the entire book. And in that final book, final book of the Bible, God wins. And his chosen people will be right where he placed them. So that's the good news. The bad news is we're going to have to endure a lot of stuff before then. So I thank you for your time this time until next time. My plan is to be back here tomorrow at 3 o'clock, if it be his will and he delays his coming. Remember that what lies behind us and what lies ahead of us are tiny matters compared to what lies within us. So wherever you are, just be yourself. Everybody else is taken. And then as I always remind you, May God bless you, may God bless Israel, and may God bless the United States of America. Stay safe, and I'll see you all tomorrow. The Joyce Kaufman Podcast has been brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com.